Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are listening to the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners. This episode is going to be the first in a multi-part series titled Justice for Sia Van Wyck. This series is going to explore the circumstances related to the death of then seven-year-old Sia Van Wyck, who died a horrific and tragic death while visiting Nova Scotia in the summer of 2017. But before we get to Sia's story, I want to tell you about and play you some audio from a video filmed just a few hundred feet from the area Sia was killed. This video was filmed a few years after her death and, at least officially, is unrelated and completely separate from the tragedy that ended Sia's only seven years of life. The video shows a small group of people, probably a family, on the porch of their home. As the video starts, a backhoe would be seen driving out what appears to be the gravel driveway to the home. As the tractor approaches the group, the older man in the cab is screaming profanities, seemingly making threats to the group and shouting something about a property line. But this isn't what I'd call an argument, as the tractor jerks back and forth and positions itself on what appears to be the backyard of the house, the man begins to dig up their yard, dangerously close to this horrified group. Now I want you to put that clip in the back of your mind. In my opinion, it becomes very important as we go along. But for now, let's forget about the man in the tractor and get back to seven-year-old Sia Van Wyck. As I was about to get to, Sia's death was ruled an unfortunate farming accident and was not believed to be criminal in nature, at least by the RCMP investigators. However, her family, their many supporters, and their highly respected private investigator believed the case was fundamentally flawed from the start and had a properly performed investigation occurred, the man responsible for Sia's death would not be free to terrorize his neighbors with a tractor. Now, to get to this series. As I mentioned from the top, this is going to be the first episode in a multi-part series that explores this case. We're going to hear from a variety of people who are involved in a variety of ways. But I want to start this series close to home. I'm going to start by speaking with Sia's understandably devastated mother, Effie. As you will soon hear, Effie was back home in the United States when Sia and her dad, Eric, came to Nova Scotia to visit family. In this episode, Effie will join us and tell us about her daughter, Sia, and in heartbreaking detail, she'll describe her desperate race from the United States to Nova Scotia after learning a horrific incident had her beloved daughter clinging to life in a hospital she never heard of. Seven-year-old Sia Van Wyck was full of life and adventure. 
She was playing in a neighbor's hayfield in Clementsvale near Digby on July 19th when she was struck by a piece of farm machinery. Sia died hours later from her injuries. So Effie, we'll, we'll start present day. So maybe just to, to give us an idea of who you are and what your life is like. Tell me a bit about, about you now in 2022. What is your life like? I um, am a mom living in Maine, um, a mom to Sia and Nico. My surviving child is now 10 years old and I work full time in clinical research and just keep busy with uh, keeping my son's activities and sports and um, also I'm still a mom to two children. And so both of those children require different things from their mom. Mm-hmm. And see us, I try to balance the fight for um, bringing her killer to justice with supporting all of the things that she loved and um, the things that we've done and friends have done to honor her memory. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether that's a you know garden at her elementary school or um, a nonprofit in India that feeds children breakfast in her honor, um, taking care of her uh, favorite person in the world, her brother mm-hmm. and her pets mm-hmm. and staying close to her friends. What, what, what is the age difference between Sia and Nico? They were just under a year and a half. Nico uh, being the younger brother. Younger, yeah, sorry. Yeah, Nico was the younger. So Sia uh, was just under a year and a half older. And Nico was always really tall for his age. And Sia was petite. And so they were essentially the same size. Oh. And she uh, would always take offense that she didn't understand why people would think they were twins <laughs> when she was clearly older. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we're, we plan to do this talk today at a time that Nico wouldn't be wouldn't be around to overhear it that must be very difficult to continue to look after him and keep him away from i guess the the tragedy that is hanging over the family how is he dealing with your focus a lot of it being taken away with this tragedy and just with the loss of his sister like that must i I can't imagine how someone his age would be dealing with this oh um yeah he desperately misses his sister and uh they were two peas in a pod and we very much keep Sia's memory and her presence mm-hmm. present um we talk about her constantly like you know we you know include her in conversations her friends still come over play in her room um we, yeah, so it, Sia is a daily conversation. So, you know, we talk about, you know, what sports do you think she would play? And um, do you think she'd like this movie? And so he very much incorporates her into daily conversation. You know, we carry Sia with us in our present and always will. A lot of the story that we're going to get into is set in Nova Scotia, but as you said, your your family and Sia, you're all from. Uh, she was born and raised in Maine. Is that right? She was born. They're born in California. 
Okay. They were both born in California. Mm -hmm. And then you, your family relocated to Maine. We, yes. Uh, we relocated to Maine in 2015. Uh, and then this happened um, in 2017. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk a bit about, about Sia. So like, what was Sia's life like? What was, what was her personality? What were her hobbies and interests? Tell me about her. Um, she loved life here. So we moved from Los Angeles and moved to Maine where we had a yard mm -hmm. and, um, they, you know, so all of these things, like she was, um, just, she just, you know, loved nature, loved animals, you know, like a lot of kids. And I remember, you know, when we first, the first spring, we moved here in the winter and, so she had never seen snowfall oh, wow. and had never even put on winter boots before. <laughs> and so all of it was fascinating. Mm -hmm. And for a five-year-old, that'd be so magical. Oh yeah. I have a video of her seeing her first snowfall and you know, she went absolutely berserk. And um, so like in California, they would, the preschool had um, fake snow, which I'm guessing is like, from like movie sets or something like fake snow in the preschool that they could sled in, but it's winter. I mean, it's warm in California. And so she absolutely loved it. And um, I remember like in the spring, daisies grew all over the yard and like weeds. And she was like, can I pick these? And I said, yeah. And so I have a picture of her. Like she went and just ripped them all up from the roots and was hugging them. And like, said so with just dirt everywhere. And um, she loved that there were just critters again being Maine and we live there's woods all around the yard that there's you know frogs and mice and um she slugs and she would make habitats for everything and so I never like my Tupperware drawer was always empty because she would take Tupperwares and put them outside and have put signs on them and give everybody names and <laughs> great you know so, and um so it sounds like a lot of laundry at your house <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, and then through the woods we have, or through our a path, then there's two houses where her best friends lived. So she, um, you know, we, the kids were always back and forth and, um, yeah, she was very happy here. And, um, like I said, loved the, just having, you know, a yard with nature at her doorstep and, by the sounds of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let's get to summer of 2017 when this, when we find our way to Nova Scotia, I, I again, you're, you're in Maine, she's seven years old, you're living in Maine, but I, I believe it's Sia and, and her father, Eric, that come yeah. to Nova Scotia for, and was it the idea they would come for the whole summer or what was like no, the purpose uh, of that? No, 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 three nights. No. So, oh, three nights. Oh, so this is just a quick yeah, I've, it I've heard it described as a summer vacation, so I wasn't sure. If oh, like no, no, no. God, no, no. <laughs> okay. This was um, so he was his relationship with his mother was often estranged and they did this, not. Have and a this is Sia's father, Eric's relationship with his. Oh, mom, yes. Sia's with grandmother. his with his mother. So their yeah. grandmother. Yeah. And so they didn't know her well. They knew sort of of her, but they had not spent much time with her. And after moving to California, or sorry, after moving from California to Maine, um, they sort of reconnected mm -hmm. and um, they, so Eric's mother and stepfather came down to visit around Christmas time and then came down to visit again in the spring. 
And this is the first time that we had seen them in years. And like I said, the relationship was often very distant and uh, they were not really part of the kids' lives. Mm -hmm. And um, so then summertime came and uh, I don't know how the conversation happened. Eric would have to fill that part in of between he and his mother about why don't you come up? But the decision was made and that, you know, what if I go visit, um, you know, my mother's farm for a few days and, you know, and it sounded like it was this, you know, you know, utopia, uh, you know, idyllic farm life that Sia would have such a great time and um, it'd be like, you know, a little father daughter trip for just, again, it was just a few nights. And, and it was j just the two of them that were just the coming. two of them. Yeah. And, just to, knowing how family works. I have young kids myself. If I was in that situation, I would maybe bring one of my kids even just to soften kind of the weird right. vibes of family. Yeah. But in hearing you describe Sia, it sounds like a, a trip to a farm to see animals and have fields to run. All like that right. would be, it would make complete sense to bring her along. Right. And, you know, Eric was a very hands-on, is a very hands-on dad, you know, mm -hmm. so he's, um, you know, always taking the kids on adventures and, um, uh, you know, and we've traveled with, see, like, you know, we um, had gone to Greece, we'd gone um, to, you know, different islands and things with her and so and i'd flown back and forth when we lived in california to the east coast all the time with the kids um, to see family on my own and um so i was very nervous and actually you know just to let her go um on our own but um only because you know you worry as a parent yeah. and there at that point there was there were no intrinsic reasons to be fearful other than distance and travel and um you know and so because the mother had not had much contact with the kids and um you know eric and i talked about you know don't leave c alone with them i talked to the mother about um keeping an eye on sia don't let her out of your sight and you know, sort of all the things that you would say mm -hmm. and just felt like, okay, she's got three adults around her. I was actually, once they arrived, because it was such a long car ride and then a ferry trip, I was more at ease once they arrived and thought like, okay, so that the danger of the trip mm -hmm. was, you know, you know, I'm not, you know, as concerned. And as this is happening, as as they're down in Nova Scotia, it's you and your and your son are, are home in in Maine. Right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, the Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. 
The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. You know, when Sia arrives with, with her father, Eric, at the home, I'm assuming there was like a phone call where you were able to touch base and, you know, see how she's making out. Do you, do you recall any kind of conversations with, from you to them in Nova Scotia to touch base with her? So I know that, so Eric and I had, um, you know, would have been in constant contact with texting. And I know, you know, he sent pictures of her on the ferry and, you know, all along the way of like, you know, she's doing great. And, um, we would have so I when we she left when they were leaving Sia was still asleep so I carried her asleep out of her bed and put her in the car and so she woke up you know at some point on the trip and I um think he, and I'd packed the cooler for them and so I think he texted when they had stopped and she'd woken up and um were having the snack of whatever I packed and then on the ferry ride, um, he said she's loving the ferry and sent a picture of her on the ferry. Um, I don't recall the call of when they arrived there, but I'm sure there must have been one. And yeah. but you you at least remember a time that they learning that they arrived and you knew absolutely. That they were and yeah, so at no point was the, you know I was you know we were in contact the whole time, and then. Um, that morning so she arrived on the 18th and july 18th and um so she left on the 18th and they arrived that day it was so she was hit on the 19th mm -hmm. and so then i talked to her the morning of the 19th and um she was really excited uh they were going to go visit a farm and um i didn't want to keep her so we kept it short and um then the next communication um or i i saved a baby mouse from drowning in the pool and i sent the picture of it with the mouse and a strawberry and the tupperware like she would do sent it to eric like show sia then later that day i can't remember if eric and i spoke or it was by text and he said that they um, he was telling me about going to they went swimming and they had taken this dog their the mother's dog on a walk and um how you know great she's doing and she's having fun okay. and um so it sounds like going according to plan and what you're going you according expected. to plan um yeah. the the just to touch on the dog is the the dog that you're referring to is at eric's mom's dog that was at the right. house so um and you describe c as loving critters and such so i'm sure she would take to a dog pretty quickly right? absolutely she loved as she was just before she went up she was at animal shelter camp oh. and it's you know just she just absolutely loved animals and um so yeah, so she would be thrilled to be uh, mm -hmm. yeah. with so, a new dog. Yeah. So you just described her arriving on the 18th. You have some conversations on the 19th, and it seems like they had a busy day of swimming, maybe going to see a farm. Mm -hmm. Now tell me how you, you in Maine, how do you learn that something had happened? How, I'm assuming you this happens, you find out on the 19th. How, how do you learn something's happening? So... Um, I drove Nico home and that day, they said he got to choose his fun activity and it mm -hmm. was water balloons, water guns. And so he, we come home 
and like I said, I had just communicated with Eric and Nico was in the bathroom filling up his water gun and the house phone rang and um, I answered and it was Eric screaming and he just kept screaming my name over and over. And then I started screaming back, not knowing what we were screaming about. And um, Nico ran out with his water gun, like, you know, like up, like he needed to, like something bad was happening. He was gonna protect something and had his water gun up. And um, he, then Eric, he said, so he just kept screaming Effie and I said, oh my God, and um, you know, what happened? And I don't recall his words, but um, he said, they found her leg. And I said, what do you mean they found her leg? And I just started screaming, is she alive? And he was saying, I don't know. And um, I, um, like I said, the, all of that was a blur. Um, I know just from communication with other people that I thought she was hit by a car. Um, I don't recall what it was, what words that Eric used. Um, I don't know that he even knew what happened. But you know something horrible has happened and yeah. Sia is either clinging to life or or worse yeah you're miles away in the united states yeah what is your like how what what do you do this night when this when this happens you're because you're home with your child again like i don't remember all the details like i um just remember you know that saying uh, hearing they're taking her they she'll go to iwk and I, mm -hmm. I like i don't even know what that means mm -hmm. um the neighbors came over how they put it all together i don't know wow. they helped me find a passport my other neighbor got her passport one neighbor just got nico and we got in the car wow. and she just started driving you know no one packed no one paused we just started driving and, and this neighbor you would have only been living there a year or two at, at the time is this yeah. someone that you were close with i'm assuming yeah so we were close with the kids were all best friends okay. and it was you know so even though it was a short amount of time we became um you know close friends very quickly and you know and remain so and uh do, do you remember like the drive to nova scotia i'm sure you were in complete shock and yeah and just do you remember anything about the drive? So, yeah, I do. I remember, um, again, so um, we were trying to get, um, so my d different family members were trying different things. Like, so like talking to the border of saying like, just let them through. They're going to be coming you know, so that there's no delay at the border. Yeah. Um, and um they were trying to get me a life flight. So basically like a, a, a flight to go up. And so my neighbor pulled me into a small airport that was north of here. And we sat there for, I think it was at least an hour and a half or more waiting for this plane to come in. And then they landed and we were, 
we were ready to go. And then they said that because of fog, they can't land in Halifax. So they'd lost all those hours and then had to get back in the car and just keep going. And, um, and, and you know, as this is happening, either you or the people around, you know, this is, um, time is of the essence. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so then Eric is, I don't even know if it was texting and calling, but they said all along, you know, that were, that they they, um, took a helicopter and then they were, you know, when she was going into surgery and he had me keep recording my voice to play in her ear oh. to let her know I was coming. And, um, yeah, I think it was like from phone call to arrival. Um, I mean, I I don't know if it was 12 hours. Um, I think it was about 12 hours. Um, in, I, I know that when you learned what would be hazy, but as you're on your way during this 12 ish hours of commuting, do you remember learning details of what happened or was it still you were getting there knowing something horrible just something horrible and Mm -hmm. uh um yeah i there was no mention of or even talk or question of like who or how or why it was just getting Um, there it was just getting there okay yeah and so you get to nova scotia i'm assuming for your first time ever being here you rushed to the iwk yeah, so I had been there. I had visited. Um, uh, when was it? So I'd been there before. Um, I think once or twice before. Um, but uh, yeah, so my uh, neighbor drove me to um, IWK, and um, in, in the um, security person helped me find Sia. Okay. Um, I don't want to ask anything too uncomfortable but when you arrive to the iwk were you able to see her and was she still like were you able to like what happened she was um still alive but um she was i think sedated at that point and um you know her she had lost a leg and um mostly you know her arm her, her, the wounds were, um, it's indescribable. Um, there were, as we've already gotten into, there would have been so much shock that what happened is, is a blur, but do you recall being, being involved in like, uh, you know, the follow-ups with doctors, like a fighting for her life sort of thing, or what do you remember about being in the IWK as they were trying uh, to save Sia? Uh, I, again, like I said, it all seems like minutes, but I think we were, you know, I was there for, you know, into the night. Um, and um, I recall sitting with the uh, doctor who said when he left the night before that he gave her barely a 10% chance to survive in the fact that she survived the night that uh, because she had no damage to her internal organs or nervous system and so um it seemed like she would survive it it, i um so you were hope there was a point where you were hopeful absolutely and hopeful 
not just as her mom, but it seemed that you and the doctor seemed to think that she was stabilizing and um, in that she would survive. And um, yeah. When does it turn? When does it take a turn to, that you it know that it seemed to happen so fast um, that we were just with her and then all of a sudden they started doing CPR. I recall the um, doctor saying 13 minutes and I I think those were the minutes that he said. And I said, what do you mean 13 minutes? I said, and even though you're seeing what you're seeing in front of you, none of it seems like you, I couldn't comprehend it. And, um, and, you know, Eric and I were both just screaming for her. What were 13 minutes? What was, what did that? I don't know if, I don't know if that meant CPR for 13 minutes. You just remember hearing that. I, again, like, and I, if, you know, it might've been a different teen minute, but I, in my mind, I recall a teen minute, a minute in the teens. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, like I said, in my mind, it's 13. That might not be right, but, um, and um, yeah, it was. And then suddenly the whole, space filled up with people just watching and um you know so the nurses were doing cpr and working really hard clearly to save her and um and like i said but then there's all these other people i remember there were um, two nurses who were behind me laughing they were talking and they were laughing and uh i turned around and screamed at them she's seven years old what are you laughing about? <laughs> and then, at, and then all of a sudden, it just like went quiet. And uh, you know, that nurse like pulled my shoulder back. She's like, "We were laughing about something else." I remember just trying to get close to her. And she had like all the wires and tubes and things, and they said. Um, that it's illegal to, I don't know if they said it's illegal to remove anything or legal, illegal to touch her. And I said, then arrest me. And I was just trying to crawl into the bed with her. And the nurse, that doctor was still standing there. I could see his feet through the screen, the curtain. And she said, um, she said to arrest her. And the doctor just walked away. And so then the nurses came in and they were, those ones were very nice and um they started unhooking what they could and they wrapped us in a blanket together a warm blanket and let me lay with her and they let us lay there as long as we wanted so sorry you know you know and the thing is to some degree it's like people think like said like your child just like evaporates into heaven and this, what he did to her was unspeakable agony and pain. It, it, she, she died a violent and painful death, alone in a field. I'm Aaron Habel of Generation Y, and with me is Jack Luna of Dark Topic. We'd like to introduce you to Marooned, a new podcast that's sure to capture your attention. Tales of the catastrophically lost are what we have to offer. Hikers swallowed by the woods. Explorers discovering nothing but destitution. True crime calamity 
oddities of harrowing human experience. It's a museum of misadventure. So pack a lunch. Subscribe to Marooned wherever you find podcasts. We are waiting. Please hurry. Thank you. The idea of a death happening outside of, of your country, that must have really made this, even added another layer of trauma to all of this. How do you deal with that? So um, my friend um, who was, is an amazing woman, she's family. She's, you know, even though she's a friend, she's like family. And she was in the delivery room when Sia was born. And I texted that, um, you know, you know, that this had happened. I don't know what I said, but so then she just got on a plane and flew out and was in the, um, you know, in the room with us before we had to say goodbye to Sia. And she got us hotel rooms and my family was helping with, because then you have to deal with the um, American consulate. You have to deal with a funeral home there. You have to deal with getting Sia home. And um, so those days we were in a hotel room for days, um, just dealing with uh, the logistics of getting her home. Wow. And, and um, uh, presumably, though, at, at this point is when you're starting to learn, you know, how did this happen to see it? Cause I can imagine getting down there in the hospital. It's, it's nothing matters except keeping her like saving her life. But at this point there must be some like, what the hell happened? There's still a little of what happened. And I was believing what Eric was told as well. So it's not even just what he's telling me. It's what he was told because he didn't see it mm-hmm. was that, um, I think the term at that point was a combine. And I remember saying, what's a combine? I didn't, I, and um, so um, I don't know for a fact, but I think listen, at that point, I'm still believing she was in a field. And so I think at this point, I, I've learned that it's not a car, that it wasn't just hit by a car. Um, but again, I still don't recall those conversations. Wow. Um, um, I think at that point I'm, I was told, you know, she was run over by this neighbor. And, and I say that only because that's what, you know, for months was my understanding. And then in talking to the RCMP, that's what I was told. And at least from the beginning, though, the what you were told and what was relayed to you seemed to suggest an accident yes. involving a vehicle, whether yes. whether a car or whatever the heck a yes. combine is, which we yes. now know a combine is a type of tractor. Right. So you go through the issues with the, the consulate and whatnot. You're staying at the hotel. Um, how, how long are you here before you're able to get Sia back to the United States and here so, being Nova Scotia? Um. I honestly, I, in, I think it was three days or so. Um, I'm not positive. Um, and I, I flew home with her and, um, and is, or just a regular airplane, like a regular 
Do you go to the airport? Just a regular airplane, like a regular commercial airplane. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And um, so we flew her home and um, yeah. And then we move forward with services after that. A funeral for a seven-year-old just seems like that is a phrase that should not even exist. Yeah. And the idea of having one, other children, like her friends attending, going, like I, my mind fails to comprehend what that would yeah. be like. Were you involved in the planning of the funeral? And I mean, I know that I was there. I don't recall wow. really making any decisions. Hmm. Uh, my family... Who took it on? Like, because I'm guessing you nor Eric, Sia's dad, would be. I uh, yeah, I don't know that he remembers more, but my my cousins and siblings, um, you know, basically the family arranged everything. Wow. And um, but yeah, the you know, little cousins and her little friends and teachers and um, you know, town police. Um, they were all there and I, um, I can't imagine what it would have been like for her, for the children to see her. You had mentioned at the beginning of our talk that something you dedicate a lot of time to now is um, celebrating her life and in, in memory by way of things like having a garden, I think you said at her school. Yeah. Was the, when did like, compare, considering like the time that her funeral happened, when was it that you started to you kind of like partner up with the school and these other places to do things for Sia? Uh, I have to, I can't take, uh, you know, credit for thinking of doing anything other than, you know, again, the things that you do in your own life and with mm -hmm. your church and at home, um, the school uh, initiated it. Oh, that's amazing. And uh, so I thought, you know, when they said, you know, we want to do something for Sia, I thought, you know, maybe it's going to be a little, a little fairy house that they put like in the corner and then it's just going to be in her memory. But they, the whole town, the school, the whole town donated, you know, landscaping services, excavation services and um, planting and every you know, parents of children donated all the plants and um, they created this gorgeous garden. And there's a picture of her in the school and it's Sia's garden. And um, yeah. And uh, it's, you know, played with um, every day and at the elementary school and, um, you know, it's a, a beautiful little space and, you know, she loved her school and um, you know, she had only made it through first grade oh. and, um, but she absolutely loved it and was so proud of knowing her teachers and her relationships with her teachers and friends and she was learning to play the violin and um, you know she was just starting her little life you know and it was just remarkable to see you know she was growing out of being a you know a baby into a kid with her own stories of what she did during the day she absolutely loved that school she was really so excited by it and uh, you know so I'm so grateful that this school um, keeps her memory so present and really thankful for that. Mm -hmm.
you know, after all of this happens, her, her, her death, you come home, you have the funeral. There's going to be a time when you're able to now pay attention and focus on, you know, what happened, what led to this at the, and I know a lot has changed since you would have initially heard what happened, but what was kind of the first full version of the story that you got as to what led to Sia's death? And I'm, and I'm assuming this would have come from like RCMP that investigated it is likely where you would have first got the first version. So the first version again, which is an inaccurate version. Mm -hmm. So I got a text. I think it was, let me see. I actually still have the texts. Would would this have been a text, a text from like an officer? So this was Terry Miller, Mm -hmm. uh, Terry Miller, who was uh, the uh, lead detective. And on the 27th, July 27th, he texted me and uh, introduced himself and gave me his cell number and said to call it uh, my convenience um, with any questions. Uh, we, I know we started speaking, would call him over and over. And unfortunately those were all over the phone. It wasn't by text. So I don't have the details of the conversations, but I do recall uh, calling him over and over, essentially asking the same questions over and over because none of it added up. Mm-hmm. And he told me that, um, and so he told me, uh, some, so our last communication was in October. Um, so between August and October, um, he told me that the case was closed. Um, he told me that, um, Sia was hiding in tall grass that there was, he described, I said, whatever words he used in my mind, because I had never been there. I'm picturing like a cornfield, a uh, sunflower field, like mm-hmm. something. Um, the same images in my head as well. Yeah. Because he said that there, I, re- I do remember this clear that he said, there's no way he, she could have seen him in no way he could have seen her. And so I'm thinking like, so in my mind, it had to have been, you know, something like you would do like a corn maze, like that kind of Mm -hmm. thing, like where it would be so thick that she couldn't be seen. And that seemed plausible to me in my mind that if she really did go into this dense, essentially a Mm cornfield and couldn't find her way out and he couldn't, like I said, so what was being described to me was like I said, this dense, thick, tall grass. She couldn't be seen, he couldn't see her. It was misadventure by a child that she could have only been outside for a few minutes at most. And I said, well, is there any way that he could have been drunk or high or, uh, and he said, oh, no, no, no. There is, I vividly remember this, that he said, there's no way, there was no indication that he would have been drinking and uh, there are no charges to be filed. It was an absolute accident. Yeah, and and what it was was this this man that was that they say wasn't drunk or high or whatever was mowing the field with a combine tractor, like a yeah. large piece of farming equipment to cut whatever grass yes. you know you're imagining in your head to be tall grass. But yes, and this this man again, you you're not 
from Nova Scotia. You don't know Eric's family well. What did you know initially about who this man was and who, like what field this was? Like, so was I know that the parents called him Snooky and that this was a neighbor that they were that at least knew enough to know him by a nickname. Nickname, yeah. And um, that um, my understanding was that I don't know if I was told or if I read this later that Eric's mother then went to uh, Potter and was saying that it was uh, not his fault. And Potter is Snooky. Yes. Yeah. And um, so um, uh, I don't know much more than that about what their relationship was but is but you do learn that there's a man named Snooky or potter that was driving the tractor in the field that that sia was was killed in was his field that he was plowing right and like i said i don't know that i knew the specifics of mm -hmm. whose field or any of that yeah. for a long time mm -hmm. um so initially at this point you were three or four months out from it actually happening you're still learning just the basic details from the rcmp yes. but i guess it, it, it makes sense because you're dealing with so much on top of that that you wouldn't be sitting down and organizing files no i said you can't you can't even think straight i said the there's no way to describe the absolute searing agony mm -hmm. agony that it is and like i said in, in it you still have a five-year-old who's mm -hmm. grieving his sister and you need to send to school in a few weeks. He's starting wow. kindergarten. And, wow, because yes, this happened uh, during the summer months. Yeah. yeah, so this happened at the end of July and then within weeks, he has to go to school for the first time. And, uh, and then he had to do it alone. In, in dealing with all of this you're learning the basics from this uh, rcmp officer you're texting calling with uh, now we're five-ish years later and you uh, you eric and sia's story is known for something altogether different which is like a, a quest for justice accountability answers when does that start at what point is it that you say this isn't a simple accident of some guy mowing his tall grass field and killing my daughter. Like when does it, when does it change for you and what leads to that change? So I think, um, you know, I, I think it was probably, you know, within, you know, a month later or so. And, um, you know, you just have s such little detail. So, so, I mean, such little information. Mm -hmm. And um, the things he was saying, then like the more I would ask, it just didn't add up that there, that this could happen and that there are no charges filed, that there's no police report that I can see. And then, you know, again, you. It kind uh, of seems like it was all very casual, like as yeah. far as yeah. how it's handled on this end. Yes. The investigation was, yes. kind of end versus what you're dealing with. Yes. And it, it, um, so the conversations were, like I said, relatively casual and, um, you know, just like, oh, geez, I'm a parent too. And I can only imagine. And that's it. And, um, you know, and everyone that I've spoken to, you get that. And which is now you realize is the most disingenuous mm -hmm. because 
they're stabbing you in the back and disrespecting your child the whole time. But, but softening being, it as they do it. Uh, yes, being so incredibly polite about it. Mm. And all the while doing all they can to protect your child's killer when there's every justification for charges to be filed and not a single officer to have the fortitude, the character, the decency, the morality to say, you know what? I know that that little girl who was brutally killed was that was not an accident and we did not investigate we didn't do our due diligence and there is justification for charges being filed mm -hmm. and anyone who's even aware of it and has an opportunity to do something is culpable mm -hmm. in letting a child killer go free and so basically as the conversations keep going and then i want a police report and you know i just want to read the information for myself because it's not adding up. And I just start thinking more and more, you know, Sia was a smart little girl. And yes, she was like, you know, most children adventurous and curious and would play in the backyard with a dog, but she, you know, she wasn't the child who you, you know, isn't going on a school field trip because she can't contain herself mm -hmm. and run into a parking lot or mm -hmm. there was never anything to suggest that Sia didn't have, you know, the cognitive ability, the reasonable self-control that a seven-year-old would have, mm -hmm. that she wouldn't recognize the danger and stay away from it. And um, they said, so there was nothing in our lives. They said, there were certain things that you're like, oh, I could see my child doing this, this, or this. But I said, we've traveled with our children. We, we were in Greece for weeks in a village. And um, I just, I just know my child. And like I said, there are certain things that you could picture them doing and other things that no, I could not picture Sia running away from anything familiar and then hiding in a field where there is heavy machinery. And so it didn't add up. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and the fact that, again, that they were just like, oh, no, there are no charges filed and it's done. There's nothing, essentially nothing more to say. And um, then I have a cousin uh, who is an attorney in Canada. So I asked again, because here you can get easily get police reports. It, you can get mug yeah. shots. It said, you know, um, and apparently that's not the case there. And so um, he, on my behalf, was trying to get a police report and um then it was i'm looking at uh, actually a timeline that we had written out um uh so it was november uh that so i think my final communication with terry miller was in october mm -hmm. and so then october or november 2nd then my cousin requests a police report and then Finally, in February, they send us, um, it was four pages of the police report, like of like minimal information oh, yeah. and four pages of the report along with uh, newspaper, public newspaper articles <laughs> that then it was clear that it was, again, like, you're not going to give me like, this is, I had one lawyer who said, and we're like, this is what, um, it sounds like someone broke into your car, a four-page police report. Yeah. 
broke yeah, into so a car and there was a witness. There's four yeah. pages. Exactly. So four page police, four pages of the police report, which was there was more to get, but this is all they sent me. Yeah. And, and the newspaper, public newspaper articles. And uh, so um, I, I think like I said, the, um, the journalist wrote, the mother said it was like getting a middle finger in the mail and like, which is what? No, I said, for one thing, I didn't get it in the mail. And I wouldn't say it was them saying, fuck you. We're not going to give you any information. Mm. I never said it was a middle finger in the mail. That's just weird. So um, they emailed it and it was, I said, minimal information, which was clear. And so this was a runaround to even get that where it was like, oh no, so-and-so is going to handle that. No, so-and-so is going to handle all of these starts and stops. And again, this is a child's death. And you're acting like it, it's like some state secrets. It, mm. um, and uh, so February 8th, we get that. And then um, then I start to feel even more suspicious of mm. what is going on. Yeah, and, and we're almost uh, a year out now where you still, yeah. you get a four page police report and printouts yes. of some articles. Yes. Wow. And um, so then in March, so then I start, talking to different attorneys figuring like what can i do again because this isn't my country mm -hmm. i don't know what to do and um so it seemed to be the quickest way so in talking to u.s attorneys and canadian attorneys what i want is a police report at this point your wheels aren't turning and like said you know legality you're still barely getting up every day mm -hmm. and um so in, um, it seemed the quickest way to get a police report was to file a civil suit against Potter and Morgan Van Wyck and Doug Reach. So Doug Reach is the stepfather, Morgan Van Wyck is the stepmother, or sorry, the uh, Grand, mother. Sia's grandmother. Yeah, so yeah. Um, filing a civil suit against the two of them, two parties, um, suing their insurance. Okay. In, because of that. Go ahead. In in the point of this, just so I get the strategy, isn't so much because you want to sue these people, but by suing them, it opens up the doors to the information flowing to so you. Exactly. So you have to have, so what, what my understanding was, again, there were many different legal options. And I remember like one person, like one attorney is like, well, you can sue the manufacturer of the tractor to say it was unsafe. I said, I don't want that. I need a police report. I don't, I need to know what happened. I don't even know that this wasn't an accident. All I know is this doesn't sound right. Mm -hmm. And all I know is already the RCMP seems to be closing ranks and keeping information and it's cryptic and I don't trust it. I want to see a police report. Mm -hmm. So the different avenues of, like I said, legal efforts um, uh, weren't anything I was interested in. I said, I just need a police report. So it seemed like um, filing the civil suit against the two parties then creates a, um, again, like the, my attorney would have to say, but it was a, um, a court order to get the police report. Yeah. Okay. So, um, then, so I do that and, um, oh wait, so then, yeah. So, oh, that's right. So then we keep going around and around with the police until April. They said, so finally they said, oh no, I can't give you the information because you're not the parent to my cousin. Like, so this has gone on since okay. November. So we submit a, um, with my signature, a consent to get the information and they, and then they never responded. And so then they just went dark and wow. wouldn't provide information. And, so that's, what's, so. And then you're in the position where you have to take legal, do this legal, legal strategy, I guess. Exactly. And so then in April, um, get an attorney, 
um, April of 2018. And then December 19th of 2018, we get the police, complete police report. So a year and a half later. Hello, listeners. Sorry to pull you out of the episode like this, but I want to take a moment and remind you of the benefits of a nighttime premium feed subscription. First of all, I release the episodes ad-free and two days early on the premium feed, which gives you the show quicker and a lot less painfully. Secondly, I maintain a full back catalog of nighttime episodes and countless hours of bonus content only on the premium feed, so it'll give you more of the show than any sane person would probably even want to listen to. And the third thing, premium feed subscribers who do so annually get a discounted rate and receive a free swag pack by mail. Who doesn't love mail? And lastly, but hopefully most importantly, the premium feed will fund the creation of the show. My mics, my laptop, the little lights on my desk, it's all paid for by the combined efforts of the premium feed subscribers. So if any of this sounds good to you, for about the price of a cup of coffee, you can go premium right now at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. I want to thank you for considering it. Now, let's get back to the episode. This report, when you finally get it and go through all this headache and rigmarole, as an East Coaster would call it, to get this report, I'm assuming that this is when you realize stuff was not done right and the battle begins. Exactly. And so then we went from the civil suit to hiring a criminal attorney. And um, the civil suit sort of smolders on, again, because what we wanted was the... um, police report and so then it's smoldering on and you know kind of in the background um and then that dragged on so it was finally when was that finalized um it was finalized uh october 2020 and all the parties were found liable and the reason the negotiation like all of it went on for so long was that um, Morgan Van Wyck and Doug Reach had wanted a stipulation of the civil suit to be that I was not able to speak publicly about SIA. That you were not able? That I was not able to. Oh. Okay. And um, so I just said to my lawyer, I mean, you probably don't want to put this in, but I just said <laughs> to my lawyer, figure out whatever legal way you want to tell them to go fuck themselves. <laughs> And I, so I said, I will say whatever I want about my daughter Mm -hmm. at any point in time. And because again, I didn't care about the reason I said, the only reason like this even went on was because I wanted the um, police report and um, the insurance settlement as minimal as it was. I was like, I don't want it. I don't want it in my account. I don't want to see it. Yeah. Like the idea of, I said, I don't even want it in my account to then donate it or do anything. I do not want it. So then it was like lawyer to lawyer and then moved on to the criminal attorney. And I said, I literally don't even want to see, I don't even want to talk about dollars that I, Mm -hmm. it makes me sick, but I was content for this to smolder on just to keep them having to answer for themselves. And, um, and so then that's sort of, um, what happened. And, um, Um, And so that's when the attorney, the civil suit attorney listened to the audios and said that, you know, this doesn't sound right. This sounds like a crime. And um, so then she uh, referred me to James, um, who is uh, a criminal attorney. Yes. Yeah. Okay. 
and that was uh, January 2019. And then he and Terry, uh, uh, Tom Martin um, began working on our behalf and Sia's behalf. So the civil suit ends. You now have all of this information as a result of going through the process of the civil suit. The information you have points to it appearing to be criminal in nature, which leads you to get a criminal attorney and Tom Martin, who is a well-known investigator, former retired cop in, in Halifax. Uh -huh. um, and that all happens at, like at the point that you get James Giacomantonio and Tom Martin um, to join up with you. Did you say January of 2019? January 2019. Okay. Yeah. Like I said, and, and, and again, and the reason like this went on was because without getting the police report, it was just my gut feeling, mm -hmm. our, our gut feeling like this isn't right. Mm -hmm. And the RCMP response to this does not seem right. The, what you're telling me about what my daughter did does not sound right. And, um, you know, at this point I said, I don't know anything about this person. I don't know anything about farm equipment. I don't know anything about even the property. I've never seen it, but what you're suggesting that my daughter needed to do in order to get herself in a position where she would be killed, none of it made sense. And what he, and again, and it came from asking the same question over and over and over and not in a, like a lucid strategic way, but just a you know, if anything, you know, just grieving, like, just like, I, I can't grasp what you're telling me. And so then the more I kept asking, then the more it just did not add up. And we are talking now five years after Sia's death, three or four years after you began to pursue this as something you believe was criminal in nature. How much of your life and time are you dedicating now to pursuing this? Um, I mean, it's, it's all of it in the way that all of you takes care of all your children and mm -hmm. whatever it is that they need, you know, so you can't really compartmentalize like, well, I, I devote this much time to this child, this much time to this child. It's always there. Um, so, you know, so whether it's emailing U.S. government officials, you emailing, you know, like talking to the U.S. State Department, it's talking to every agency I can find in the RCMP and Eric's doing the same thing. So you're constantly, it's part of, it's your, it's your constant life. And, um, and again, and that's why I've said that anyone who's lost a child would say that you would not, you would not do this if you if there was any shred to believe that this was merely an accident and there was there was no malice and um you could just grieve peacefully i don't want to talk to people about the last moments of my daughter's life i don't want that to be public when we started the facebook page it was in order to get public support because clearly under the you know blanket of uh, you know, privacy, the RCMP chose to not investigate. So the uh, Facebook page was in hopes of, um, you know, that there would be anybody who would either have some influence or even maybe someone in the RCMP who says like, you know what, I see that little girl's face and I see the grief from her parents and what we did wasn't right. Like, is there one person or even, you know, their spouse or their teenage child who has Facebook that's like, did you have anything to do with this? and hopefully compel even one person to do what's right. And, um, but the first 
day of that Facebook page again, like having to share, see his picture. And it just feels like you're just violating our own privacy. And I, yeah, I um, can't stand it. Mm -hmm. and, and um the the facebook group you're referring to it's justice for sia is the facebook group and it's uh, like you and she have supporters from all over the world uh, in yeah. that group what role does that group play today in you know in what you're doing I, I understand the idea that initially it would have been started to bring people in and let people know what's happening but it's it's still very active today what 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 right. role does that play and so like i said the the role really said they're you know, people, you know, will say like there's people who are very cruel and say very nasty things. Mm -hmm. There are other people who are very supportive um, and give ideas of what can be done. And um, but it was really, like I said, just to help support um, getting her case reopened. Mm -hmm. And um, and that's all that we've been asking. I said the a, a fair a, a fair trial, a hearing, a, a review of the facts. Literally and anything, because it's the the investigation opened and closed, and I'm using air quotes for investigation, within a matter of, it seems like in a matter of weeks from her death. Has there been any, like, is the, the movement now is you want it reopened, a full investigation start to finish? Is, is Am I getting that right? That's what you're fighting Absolutely. for? Absolutely. And like mm -hmm. I said, with the private investigation, the work was already done. The work mm -hmm. is already done. Mm -hmm. And the investigation was complete. And it very well could have at the end of that investigation, uh, you know, the private investigator could have said, I, I hate to tell you, but, you know, even though this was awful, uh, it's not illegal to be, um, you know, callous about killing a child. Mm -hmm. And, but there's no crime. Like his actions were not a crime. And, again, like I said, I'm, it's not about whether or not I seemingly, like we cannot accept that our daughter was killed. And, uh, that, um, like for instance, like Potter's wife in, during one of those hearings said, um, that Eric isn't over his little child yet. And now he, she, he wants a piece of my husband. Okay. And that's what she said during the trial. All yeah, right. they're not over, he's not over his little child yet. And now he wants a piece of my husband. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned a quote as well that Potter, the man driving the tractor, was quoted uh, as referring to Sia as the thing in the field. Correct. I didn't hear it myself. That's what I was told in an interview. That's what he said. Wow. Um, and again, none of those things are illegal. And it's not illegal to be a grotesque asshole and a monster and callous and, un, uh, uh, you know, and, it, but the actions related to what he admitted to, what was determined, all of the, there are multiple actions that equal chargeable offenses. And, um, that is the part that I find astounding is that this isn't whether or not there's regret or that it, and again, like I said, that you just want to make someone else suffer, suffer because you've suffered. It's not that again, it's 
the had the private investigator come back and said it is there and the criminal attorney said there's not a crime here you know it was horrific but the actions do not equate a crime or at least what we can prove um and then you know there's nothing that you can do i mean that at the most then you fault the rcmp for their lack of investigation lack of transparency um but um there was a crime and the rcmp were provided the investi private investigation they were provided the legal opinion of each action and the chargeable offense associated with the action and um and they without giving an explanation are refusing to uh open the case and reopen the case in charge and he continues on in this manner and gets away with it every time i want to thank you for joining effie and i in our conversation i don't know how you feel about it but as a father of young kids myself hearing this story from effie is just unimaginable my heart breaks for her family and I firmly believe that anything less than the most careful and considered investigation into Sia's death is just disturbing. And as you probably know at this point, Sia certainly didn't get the investigation she deserved. And as this series progresses, it will become increasingly clear. In the next episode, we're going to learn a lot more about what happened to Sia in Nova Scotia, as we're going to be joined by her father, Eric. In that talk, which will be released shortly, Eric gives us a heartbreaking look at every parent's worst nightmare. She's like, I have something very serious to tell you. And then she said the words, there's been an accident. And as soon as she said that, I said, where's Sia? And I ran downstairs and I run out the door. There's a fucking ambulance there. And people and my daughter on a stretcher moaning and bleeding, huge gash on the side of her head. I just started screaming, no. And with that, I'm gonna wrap up this episode, but before we part, let me give thanks. First, a big thanks to Effie for sharing her family's tragedy with us. I can only hope her doing so will put more advocates in Sia's corner. Next, a shout out to LJ from Dystopian Simulation, who provides the intro and outro voiceovers for this show, as well as Monty Data, who provides the show's score. And lastly, but most importantly, I have a massive thank you to everyone who listens to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. And on the topic of support, let me thank the newest subscribers to the premium feed. Canada's best fashion designer, Emma W., Emma C., Denver, and SJ. Thank you all for going premium. And if anyone else would like to support the show, you can access the premium feed at patreon.com slash nighttimepodcast, or you can share this episode on social media and let some like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If anyone has any story ideas or wants to give feedback on the show, you can reach me at nighttimepodcast.com, and I'd love to hear your take on Sia's case. You can send me a voice memo also at nighttimepodcast.com. So until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Hi. Her name is Elspeth. Elspeth Tassioni. 
you know her as the offbeat but brilliant defense attorney from The Good Wife and The Good Fight. You've been a very busy little bee. Buzz, buzz. Now, she's in New York with the NYPD. This is very different. But still using her unconventional ways to find the truth. You're trying to sniff me, Miss Tazioni? <laughs> Elspeth, new series Thursdays on Global. Stream on Stack TV.